Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amafidon. Thanks for tuning in. Earlier this morning, Michael Cox was sworn in as the new commissioner of the Boston Police Department. Mayor Wu officiated the ceremony at City Hall Plaza. Cox assumes his role as the 44th commissioner after serving 30 years with BPD and three years with Ann Arbor Police Department. Cox was identified as a final candidate after a six-month search led by the Boston Police Search Committee. Commissioner Cox is well familiar with that sense of possibility, sometimes against all odds. He raised his family in this great city where he grew up. He is full of love for this community. And I'm proud that today, a boy from Roxbury is going to serve as the commissioner for the Boston Police Department, first and finest in the country. As a police officer, you know, we're taught the old adage that at the end of the day, that we have a right to go home safely. But I'm here just to remind, you know, the people that serve is that we're here to serve the citizens of Boston. And while I don't agree, don't disagree with the adage, we want to expand upon it and make it clear that we're all in this together. All of us have a right to go home safely. We look forward to seeing Commissioner Cox's impact on the city. In Chinatown, tradition roared in the 52nd annual August Moon Festival. Spectators from all over the city flocked to Hudson and Tyler Streets, Harrison Avenue and Beach Street to take in the August Moon Festival. The day was organized by the Chinese Consolidated Benevolent Association of New England. Two stages with live performances, arts and crafts and street vendors offered something for everyone. Historically, the August Moon Festival is a time to enjoy the reaping of rice and wheat with food offerings made in honor of the moon. Today, the event, similar to Thanksgiving, is a chance for friends and family to gather and pray for the future. It's great that we have festivals like this and other festivals of other cultures. where different generations, generations that never even saw their homeland, come here and experience what it's like a little of what it's like to be back home. But you have to remember, our cultures coming together is what make the Commonwealth a great place to live. What's also as important is we make sure young students age five, age seven, also learn about the enormous culture of the Chinese community, of the Asian community, knowing their contributions and sacrifices to our city and country. They helped make our country better and it's important for us to teach the younger generation about those lessons. Meanwhile, in Grove Hall this weekend, women connected by imprisonment are united in seeking a new start. Joy was the soundtrack of the afternoon Saturday at the Community Resource Fair in Grove Hall. The event, sponsored by New Beginnings Reentry Services, provided a day of connection and support for women who were previously incarcerated. The painful experience of being separated from loved ones felt miles away as families enjoyed each other's company over food, music, and networking. Over 40 organizations were in attendance, providing services and job opportunities to assist women in their new beginnings. It's essential to have reentry to help women reintegrate back into community 
because often we haven't had any type of resources when we come out of prison. Recidivism is almost at 97% in the United States. And so without these resources, women will return back into the prison. The prison does not address the trauma that brought them to the prison in the first place. And so our program is designed to really touch on the trauma before prison and what they don't offer during prison and the additional trauma that they may endure while they're in that prison culture. The prison system is supposed to be about rehabilitation, but the reality is it's only um, right now, it's just about holding people in a certain place. And when they get out, they don't have the skills or the coping mechanisms to be able to really, you know, deal with life. So there's a lot of things I believe that can be reimagined and reinvented so that women in particular can have a chance to raise their children if need be. Really thinking about why exactly that woman has been in, a, in the position why she's being incarcerated. We also all, des all deserve a second chance in life to be able to get back to our community and also let the people know that being, being incarcerated has given us an opportunity to, to get to know ourselves and to grow. So when we come back into the society, we will be productive members, but also bring our gifts and share our ideas and our creativities. I cannot think of one circumstance that is harder than coming out of prison except for coming out of prison and thinking you are on your own. There are no resources. There's no one to turn to. In fact, your chances of maybe making the same mistake again are going to be greater if you have no support. There needs to be programs like, re, like the New, New Beginnings Reentry Program because here are the resources. Here are people who are welcoming you back into your community with love, support, with open arms. Here are people who want to show you the resources so you don't have to make that same mistake again. Farmers markets all over the city spread the love during National Farmers Week, August 7th through 13th. See how Dudley's Farmers Market showed their value to the community. At the Dudley Farmers Market Thursday, Roxbury residents were in for a treat celebrating National Farmers Week. Dudley Grows and the Food Project invited the community for a day of fun and fresh locally grown fruits and vegetables. Abundance was on display. Award-winning homegrown tomatoes, the vibrant greens of your next salad, hearty potatoes, and all of it snap and hip accessible. It's so important that we connect with our food. And here uh, at this farmer's market, there's food grown right here in Dorchester, Roxbury, as well as in neighboring suburbs. And to, to have a tomato that was just picked this week or maybe even this morning, um, it just bursts in your mouth and you just feel good. And when we're well-nourished as people, we can help each other and build community. I think it's a great place like for kids to meet each other and, and socialize. And it's also just a nice place to get local food. Um, and and really helps the community to thrive um, in a really special way. Sammy Nabulsi is a partner at Boston Law Firm, Rose Law Partners, LLP. He focuses his practice on environmental, land use, and real estate litigation, permitting, and government regulation. In addition to his practice, he is chairman of the Boston Lobbying Compliance Commission, a member of the Boston Industrial Development Finance Authority's Board of Directors, and treasurer and board member of the historic Boston, Inc. He's a resident of Roxbury and a very busy man. I had the fascinating conversation with him about the intersection of real estate, climate change, and zoning. Here's part one of the interview. 
here with Sammy Nabolsi with Rose Law Partners, LLP. Sammy, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Fabulous. Well, you've been with Rose Law Partners since 2018, yes. uh, specializing in environmental land use and real estate litigation, permitting, and government regulations. Uh, can you tell me what inspired you to choose this, this path of law? Sure, it's uh, it, it's funny. I, I, I fell into it. I'm so glad that I did. Um, when I when I finished up law school at Suffolk University Law School, uh, I, I spent a year working for judges of Massachusetts Superior Court, and it's really a phenomenal experience, especially if you want to litigate to just you know learn how to research and write and spend a lot of time with judges, understanding how they think and how they approach cases. Uh, but when that year finished up, I. I needed to figure out what I wanted to do next. So I actually ended up working at the City of Boston Law Department for mm. several years. Uh, I spent a few years in the city's law department in the government services division. And in large part, you know, what's associated with that role? We represent specific departments, uh, advise them day-to-day -day issues that comes up, come up, review contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, but part of that, we also represent the city in a significant amount of litigation. On the government services side, that was largely around things like land use, zoning, uh, one of the departments that I uh, was the main legal counsel to was the Environment Department. And that was you know, my first crack at environmental law work, and I fell in love with it. We did everything from uh, wetlands issues, air pollution control, uh, uh, waterways, uh, use of use and access through uh, rivers, ocean fronts, tidelands, you name it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and at the time, and you know, this has been in conversation in the city of Boston for such a long time, uh, we looked at the impacts of climate change and what legal tools that the city have available to it to address those issues and deal with those issues. Uh, and also from a liability perspective, mm -hmm. how could the city ever be on the hook for I impacts of climate change? Because uh, of course we have a significant amount of infrastructure and properties that line the coasts and rivers of the city of Boston. And I just fell in love with that work, um, hmm. and uh, and I, I hope I, I hope I got good at it, <laughs> and uh, and when I went over to Rose Law Partners in 2018, it was really important for me to continue that that work, and they've given me a lot of leeway to build that practice, and those are the issues that I focus on: real estate, land use, uh, environmental law. That's great. And speaking of climate change, this June, the Greater Boston Research Advisory Group, they came up with a follow-up report to the 2016 report. That's right. Um, that was the first to actually talk about how climate change is impacting Boston. So just a couple of um, numbers from that report. Um, it predicted that there'll be more than 20 days of 90-degree heat uh, by the year 2040, more than 31 days in 2080, and even 33 by 2100 and then when we're talking about high emissions it's kicked up to 62 days in 2100 so based on this report um, how is how are these findings impacting the current permit and development plans happening in Boston yeah great great question and, and you know I'll start by saying I mean those numbers are significant it's really tough to contemplate right you know that many you know days of 90 degree degree heat in in Boston and you can imagine you know several several people in different neighborhoods I mean that's going to be a, such a major impact and, and and I really hope that people spend the time looking into that report and, and thinking about what that means for them and, and their their neighborhoods um, 
Uh, but you're exactly right. You know, this report was a follow-on to 2016 report, and unfortunately, things are not getting better. They're not improving, and and the numbers I think are reflecting that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what is the city doing? There, there are a number of things from a permitting and development perspective that I think the city is looking at uh, to address these issues, and they tend to. You know, it's interesting. I mean, more recently, we've been able to look at the effects of heat and what that could mean yes. uh, for the future of Boston. And, you know, typically for the last several years, the city has focused its, you know, permitting updates and efforts on how do we, uh, how do we prevent the worst impacts of sea level rise and storm surge. So you've seen a lot of activity at the, at the uh, Boston Planning and Development Agency to develop what's called the Climate Resilience Checklist. And then also uh, recently under zoning now, there's what's called Article 25A, which established a uh, coastal flood overlay district, which imposes additional requirements for developers who are pursuing, tend to be on the larger side of projects in areas that are either, you know, facing inundation or, or are likely to be in an area that will experience flooding in yeah. 2070 because of sea level rise and storm surge. Heat presents a slightly different issue. Um, uh, and that, you know, turns to things like, you know, are, what are we using for, for pavement? Are we incorporating more shade? Are we preserving more open space? Because all these things are important to create cooling effects. And also, if you get rid of trees, you get rid of vegetation, uh, you, you pave more, you know, dark <laughs> sidewalks and dark roads, mm -hmm. you're going to increase the effects of, of heat in, in neighborhoods and communities. Um, it's really interesting, and I think I want to say in May, the city came out with a, a heat resilience study. Yes. And that was a really elaborate attempt at investigating what are the impacts of heat from climate change and really breaking it down by neighborhood in Boston, and then what are the things that we can do. And one of the suggestions in that report was establishing, like the coastal flood overlay district, mm -hmm. a similar overlay district in zoning for heat. I think maybe oh. they even call it a heat overlay district that depending on the areas, and that would be something that would need to be sorted out, um, there would be additional requirements to make sure that projects are both the, the, you know, themselves resilient to increased heat, uh, both in um, extremity and frequency, yeah. uh, but also making sure, okay, as we're getting these projects, uh, tell us about your tree cover. Are you removing trees? Is there an opportunity for, if you're going to remove trees, to replant trees with similar canopy and shade? Are there other ways in which you can incorporate shade or preserve or even expand open space vegetation on your site? And, um, and so that's one of, I think, the very key ways that the city, from a permitting perspective, and even developers on their own voluntarily are going to be looking at the issue of heat, hmm. uh, is probably it's going to have to be done through, through zoning. Uh, but I'll add one more thing. Um, back in, I want to say, 2019, the city council, uh, and I believe it was then Councilor, now Mayor Wu's ordinance, uh, passed a local wetlands protection ordinance for Boston. And while on its face, you know, that is meant to protect wetlands, mm -hmm. uh, it goes without saying, part of that analysis is going to be for developers to factor into any project that is subject to that ordinance consideration of the impacts of climate change. And one of those impacts is, is heat. So it'll be interesting to watch how do project proponents, once those regulations are complete, the Boston Conservation Commission is looking at projects under the climate resilience regulations. How does the conversation of heat factor into proposals before the Boston Conservation Commission?
Designing motherhood, things that make or break our births, opened on Saturday, June 11th at the Mass Art Museum. The critically acclaimed exhibition explores human reproduction through the lens of art and design from the 19th century to present day. Curated by a team of design historians, birth advocates, and medical and midwifery history experts, the exhibit showcases nearly 200 works exploring the evolution of societal rights and norms from contraceptive to postpartum experiences. Hi everyone, I'm delighted to welcome you to Designing Motherhood on view at the MassArt Art Museum, or as we like to call ourselves, MAM. You might be wondering why this exhibition and why here? Actually, this is a wonderful show and we're so excited to showcase it here because everyone is born. We are all born. Uh, it's a shared universal experience and this show shows you all the aspects about this particular process. Until um, recently, uh, birth, the birthing experience was very much a universal and shared experience but also a very uh, similar experience for all and it wasn't until advancements with technology and design and um, science when the culture of birth advanced without it being really talked about or examined and designing motherhood brings this topic to the forefront so that we can talk about it and examine it. Um, this exhibition showcases over a hundred objects from design and fine art and that's part of the reason why we are doing this show here. MAM is part of the Mass Art uh, community, the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. We are the nation's first publicly funded freestanding art and design school. We are all about art and design and we believe that art and design can change the world for good. And we also feel that by showing this show to our students, future artists and designers, and the public, it'll allow us to see something that we've never seen before, think about something, discuss, and maybe make things better for the future. Some of the works in the exhibition are designed, some of them are art objects, and many of them talk about different um, paradigms, experiences, and, and ways of understanding the arc of human reproduction. This work here is one of my favorites. It's by the contemporary artist Annie Liu, who's based in Philadelphia. So Annie um, uh, calculated that she makes over five gallons of milk every single week feeding her infant. And so that's what you see here in this beautiful sculpture pumping through. And then next to it is a data visualization. Um, Annie tracked for the first 30 days of her infant's life when she fed and when she diaper changed, which as you can see, takes up so much of her time. Designing Motherhood is running through October. And I believe we are, we are at time. Uh, thank you for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, RCN Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. You can also listen to the news on the radio at 7.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. on WBCA 102.9 FM. And to end our evening, we bring you a piece of the very colorful Dominican Festival and Parade, which took place Sunday in Jamaica Plain. Enjoy. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon, and I'll see you on Thursday.